Welcome to the East Coast Believers Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope this inspires and encourages you to grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's Pastor Norm. Let me bring you into this series that I'm doing, and this series is called The How-To Guide to Christianity. Let me set it up, and let me set it up for you this way, because this is my discipleship series, and I'm going to disciple you through this month, and so I'm speaking to believers primarily in this message. It's the How-To Guide to Christianity. There's a book in the Bible, in the New Testament, it's called the book of James. Now, if you know your Bible, your New Testament basically has different sections. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the Gospels. Uh, they were written by the disciples, and they kind of chronicle the life of Jesus. Then you have the book of Acts, which is written by Luke, and sort of the history of the church. There's a lot of power in there. And then you have these letters that were written to the church, like Rome, uh, the, to the church of Rome. It's called the book of Romans. And you have Corinthians that was written to the church at Corinth. Two letters, actually, that are there. And then you have what they call the epistles, written mostly primarily by the Apostle Paul, and then you go into um, what they call pastoral epistles, written, there's uh, three of them that are written by Paul to pastors, all the, a, lot of the, a lot of the concepts and a lot of the truths apply to all of our lives, and then you go into the, this book of James. Now what's unique about the book of James, it was not written by Paul, who wrote over the half New Testament, but James sort of, uh, he, this was not James the disciple, this, that's Peter, James, and John, this was James the half-brother of Jesus who wrote this. What's unique about him, and you'll see him show up in the book of Acts multiple times, he sort of led and guided the church through Jerusalem there. But what's unique about James is he's the half-brother of Jesus, and as I shared last week, he didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God when he lived with Jesus, but it was after that Jesus died on the cross that he, he gave his life to Christ and became what we call a believer and a follower. And like I said, you know, if you can get your brother to call you the Son of God, you must really be the Son of God. I'm just going to tell you that. Actually, theologians use that to prove the deity of Jesus, one of the points. And, but James was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem. And what's unique about his letter, it was written from a pastor to a church. And so it's very much in your life. And he's going to point out eight or ten major truths, guides that we can live by. It's a snapshot of, of really Christian faith and how it should show up in our life. Now what I want to say about James, he's very much, he's very direct. He's in your business. Some of, some of the most powerful verses in the Bible come out of the book of James. James 5 says, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available. It says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. It says, you know, if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church. It says how to, so he's going to talk about really your money. He's going to talk about how you treat people. He's going to talk about, come on, there's going to, we're going to do one whole message, not this week, but soon on your mouth. That's like, he's he talks about how you treat the poor. He talks about how you, how you, how you size up people. He, he deals with racial profiling in here. And we're going to deal with some hot button issues. And really what James, a lot of theologians call it the New Testament book of wisdom. It's almost like the, the sister book to the book of Proverbs because it's just a bunch of how-tos. And so uh, we're going to get into this. And today I want to pick up where we left off last week. James chapter 1 and verse 18. This is the last verse that we read last week. He chose to give, talking about God, to give birth to us by giving us his true word, Jesus. And we, out of all of his creation, became his prized possession. Here's what we were singing about earlier, but the truth is, is you are, 
You've got to buy into the fact that you are God's prized possession. You've got to buy into the fact that God is crazy about you and God loves you. He's pursuing you. And I don't know if you know that about God in you, that you are his prized possession. And I, I know for, for me in my life, I have things that are very prized and near and dear to me. I mean, she's, she's not my possession, but my wife, you know, she's a, she's a very prized person in my life. My children, you know, I have things in my life that are really important to me that people have given me. I have cer- certain guns in my safe that are really important to me that mean something to me. And, uh, you know, we have prized possessions. I mean, for you, it could be an old car that you You've, uh, re, you know, restored and it's, it's prized for you. What I do know is this. Whatever is prized to you, you're going to invest in and you're going to spend time with and you're going to grow if it's a, if a person grow that relationship. Or if it's a thing, you're going to take care of it, right? And so with God, you're a prized possession. And so he loves you. Like there's a phrase going on in the church today, and I like this. Some of my friends use this phrase in their church, and it's sort of a slogan for the church. No perfect people allowed, and, which is true. The church is full of a bunch of imperfect people, and there's no perfect people in the church. And so, in other words, at the moment of salvation, you became born again on the inside, but sanctification is a process. We're all, we're all on the journey of sanctification. Wouldn't it be nice if our spirit, soul, and body got born again at the same time? You'd lose 20 pounds, you'd lose your temper, you'd lose some of the bad habits you have, but you just get saved on the inside, the party that lives forever. But the journey of sanctification, we're all on it. There's no perfect people, I believe it. But the problem with this is, I, I know why they're doing it, because if you've ever been hurt by a Christian, here's what I want to tell you. If a Christian hurt you, it's not a reflection of Jesus, it's not a reflection of the church, it's a reflection of them. Some people go, well, I went to church and the church hurt me. Well, the, it, maybe somebody in there. It's not a reflection of the church. It's a reflection of that person. And so the problem with, the problem with no perfect people allowed if you, is, is, is nothing wrong with it. But here's what's happened in the modern day church. Just come as you are, which I believe. Like come to church just as you are. But here Jesus, because you're his prized possession, he doesn't want to leave you where you are. He didn't. You're his prized possession. He loves you so much that he won't let you stay the same. Why am I saying this? Because there's a power inside of you that you don't know that exists. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit today. That When you became born again, God did something more than give you a ticket to heaven. A get out of hell free card. Here's what he did. If you're taking notes, write it down. Your spiritual DNA, who you really are, changed at salvation. You changed on the inside. There's a power in you that can change your life if you allow it to work. And so James 1.19 says this. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Just, I'm letting you know, I'm not preaching on anger. Aren't you glad today? Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all, the Bible calls it filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word of God. Now here's what he says about the word of God. What I'm doing to you right now, if you'll humbly accept it, it has power to save your soul. Not get you to heaven. I'm not talking about salvation. He's talking about change the way you think. Reprogram your thinking so you can get more in line with your spiritual DNA. He said in verse 22, but don't. And here's what we're going to talk about. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling 
yourselves. But be, and the King James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Guys, and here it is, you're deceiving your own self. And there's been a lot of talk in the church as late, well, you know, fake it till you make it. And the problem with the fake it till you make it thing, it, to me, I don't like it because there's, there's no authenticity in it and there's no sincerity in it. And so you got a bunch of people that are coming to church faking it and everyone thinks everyone's great and we all have got issues in our life. But only thing worse than faking it is deceiving yourself. And, the Bible, and, and talk, I want to talk about the zone of deception that we can get in. Because the Bible says is when you hear the word, is what you're doing. Read the word, what you do in the mornings when you do your devotions. And you don't do the word. Here's what the Bible says. Put it up. You are deceived. You are living a life of deception. And here it is. It's worse than faking it. You're fooling yourself and you don't even know it. A lot of us are living that. And a lot of us can get in, 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 a, in a place of deception. I remember when we built this church, um, when we were fired up about building, we were back in the old building and, and, and we were multiplying, we were growing in a big growth season. We were doing multiple three services on a Sunday, a lot of separate meetings. And so we bought this building. This was a little more than a $5 million project and, and I got heavily involved in it and we were paying for it on top of paying for it. I was leading meetings with architecture and design and sound and, and uh, working with our, with our staff and different things they needed and budgets and meeting with our leaders of our church and then also being a part of the building program here and so one day right in the middle of all this Dina comes to me and she says Norm you're stressed out I says no I'm not I don't get stressed she goes you're stressed I says honey I'm telling you she goes you're, 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 come, you're going to work earlier and you're coming home later and it keeps getting longer and longer and longer and you're working 14 15 hour days I know it's for a few months but you got to cut back to which I said honey Cast all your care upon the Lord, for he careth for you. She says, I'm telling you, you're stressed. She says, you better watch it. So about three weeks later, she says, Norm, I am telling you, slow down. She goes, if I get up and tell everybody you're doing something that you preach that they shouldn't do, you're doing it. I says, what? She goes, you preach on Sabbath. Everyone needs a Sabbath. One day a week, you're not keeping your Sabbath. I said, honey, I got it. Trust me. Well, then about two months later, I'm in my office uh, one day. Man, my back, I felt like a, a bug bit my back. And I'm like, what in the world's going on? And so I went and showed Dean, and she said, man, it looks like a massive spider bite or something. I said, I, don't, I should get looked at. She said, you better. And we had a secretary. Susan was there, Susan Gore. She said, you better go to the doctor's. So I called the doctor. He took me right in. And I sat down, and he goes, he looked at it, took my shirt off, and he goes, Norm. I says, what? He goes, you under stress? I said, did my wife call you? He said, no. I said, I mean it, did she? Dr. Chase, he said, no, she didn't. I, he says, guess what? You've got shingles. He said, that, at your age, that could come one way. You're overstressed. Here's what I'm telling you. Two, two lessons to learn from this. Number one is this. Always, always, always listen to your wife. She's always right. Always, always. Always right. I know it's going to be the most quoted line of my message for this whole year. 
But number two is this, and this is important. When you get in the zone of deception, why it's so difficult and so dangerous, you don't even, it's worse than faking it, you know you're faking it. When you're deceived, you don't even know it. And the Bible says there's really only one way you can get that way, is when you hear the word, is what you're doing, read the word what you do, and do not apply. So you're in church, you're hearing, you're hearing, and you think because you're hearing everything's okay, but because you're not doing it, the Bible says you're actually, here it is, you're deceived. James 1.23 says, for if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, forget what you look like, but if... Uh, don't, but, and don't do what it says uh, and don't forget what you heard then God will bless you for doing it let me read that again put up verse 23 if you would I want to do that again for if you listen to the word and don't obey it it's like glancing at your face in a mirror you see yourself you walk away walk away from it you hear it hear a Sunday morning message you hear it you walk away and that's where a lot of us are we hear it and walk away. Hear it and we forget and we don't make a decision to apply. And then he says, you forget what you look like. You forget that your spiritual DNA changed. You forget who you are in Christ. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, here it is, then God will bless you. A lot of us aren't experiencing blessing in parts of our life, and we're wondering why. Today we're gonna unpack and give you your answer. An area of your life is blessed or not blessed. It's a result of hearing and doing, not just hearing. Here, here's, what it, here's what I'm talking about. It's like, consume, what we know, if you wanna be healthy naturally, you cannot consume so many calories and not burn any calories. If you do, you're gonna get out of shape. Am I preaching to the right age group today? I know what that's about. And so you cannot consume more calories than you burn. It's going to show up in your life. And so what he's saying here is if you hear, 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 hear the word, take in, take in, take in, and don't put anything out, you're going to be spiritually unhealthy. Like the Dead Sea. It takes in, it takes in, it doesn't put anything out, nothing can live in it. And that's where a lot of us are. We're like, hey, why are we not... Like, why is it not working for us? Why are we not blessed? And here's the challenge. We have to decide, is the word of God a preference or a conviction? Let me ask you this. How many of you, dogs versus cat, how many dog people versus cat people? Raise your hands in here. How many would have a dog? Your preference is a dog. How many cat people do we have in here? Preference is a cat. I'll pray for deliverance for you all after service. I have two of them. I'll deliver myself with you. But in other words, that's just a preference. But sometimes we treat the Word of God like it's like a preference. We're reading along the Word of God, and we see verses in there and go, no, I don't think that I want to do that one. Like I don't, like, I don't know. I don't want to forgive. I, I think I'm going to hold on to my bitterness. I don't want to be generous. I just want to be stingy. You know what? I know the Bible says do not lie. But I don't know. Like in this situation, I think it's sort of a preference for me. And, it's, and you read your Bible and you hear messages based on, like it's almost, like I like, if it was funny, I'll do it. But I don't know. He didn't make it funny enough today. 
And the pref- if you treat the word of God like a preference and you are a hearer, here's what the Bible says. You are simply fooling yourself. It's deception. And it's the worst spot because you don't even know it. But if you approach this word like a conviction, like it's a conviction, like what I read I'm convicted to do, what I hear I'm convicted to do, the Bible says in any arena of your life, the answer is you'll be blessed. So you can look at this graphic that they created for me and you can figure out, do you treat it like a preference or a conviction? If you treat it like a preference, you're only hearing and deciding if you want to do it. The Bible says you're fooled. But if you'll switch it from preference to conviction, which, mean I'm going, which means I'm going to do it, the Bible says in any arena of your life, you can be blessed. And it's interesting enough, I, I was kind of breaking this apart and looking for some things. And I ran across this verse in Mark chapter 8 because Jesus sort of started dealing with this and he starts talking about the progression of going to church for a length of time or reading your Bible for a length of time and sort of picking and choosing what part you're going to do and not do. And then he said this in Mark chapter 8. Jesus said, he's talking to Pharisees. Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts, he said, this is what happens. Your hearts become hard. It becomes too hard to take it in anymore. That's the progression. And he explains it in the next verse, in verse 18. He says, you have eyes, but you can't see. You have ears, but you can't hear. God, God is saying the same thing that James said. Jesus is saying the same thing James said. Man, you're hearing, but you're not doing. And it's not working out for you. And actually, interesting enough is Jesus, when he's talking to the Pharisees, he was quoting an Old Testament verse. It's found in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 10. And he quoted this verse to the Pharisees and, he, and put up Isaiah 16. He said, harden the hearts of these people. They will not see with their eyes nor hear with their ears, nor understand with their hearts. And here it is. When you get to this place, you're not going to turn to him for healing. Like you're not going to get healing in your marriage or in a relationship or in your finances or in your family with a hard heart. And if you're just hearing and not doing, this is sort of the progress. And so my thoughts are, what do you do with all this? Like if this is the case, to hear the word and not do the word you're fooling yourself, your deception, the process of that turns you into a hard heart, which we don't want, which you experience none of the blessing of God. Like, how do you get out of this if this is sort of where you're stuck? And so I want to wrap up this message, which means about 15 minutes. I want to wrap up this message with the how-tos, how to get out of how to get out of just hearing the word and not doing the word, how to get out of just listening and not applying, how to get out of that phase of deception to the area of blessing. Really what I'm talking about is if you're stuck, if you're stuck, if you're in a rut, if you're spiritually dry, if things aren't alive to you, if reading the Bible is boring to you, it's not alive, and and you hear a message and your thoughts are, oh, I heard that before, come on, give me something else. You hear a message on forgiveness and the first thing you say is, oh no, not again. You hear a message on being generous, oh no, not again. Like how do you get, and I want to give you the how-tos to get from deception and just hearing to actually doing where therein lies the blessing. And I want to do it by reading a story to you out of Luke chapter 14. And I want to read a story that Jesus actually told. I'm just going to quote it verse by verse. 
Luke chapter 14 and verse 16, they'll put it for you up on the screen. Jesus here is talking to them about, the, about a feast. He replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guest, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought uh, five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I, man, I'm, I have a wife now, so I can't come. All, these are all just excuses. And if I was going to teach, I'd break these verses apart and tell you all these excuses. He's kind of breaking it apart different areas of your life where you make excuses. Basically, the excuse is, I'm too busy. I can't do it. And then he goes to the next verse and says, the servant returned and told his master. This is Jesus' story what they had said. His master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the towns and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, there is still room for more. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you, you find to come so that the house will be full. I want to pull four truths out of here that I think that can switch you from being a hearer and deception or fooling into being a doer uh, and a doer and actually the blessing of God. And let me back you up here to verse 17. It says this. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guest, come, the banquet is ready. First truth to apply the word of God to your life is this. If you're taking notes, write it down. Now, there's no better time than now. Now is the time to do the word. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next, not, not, yeah, I want to, but I need to, you fill in the blank. I need to go take care of this first. I'm going to, I'm going to get involved out of some other time when I get everything in order. No, he says, now is the time. Like, not tomorrow, not next week, but now. In other words, he's placing, there's a sense of urgency to it. In other words, he said, if you treat the word like a preference, you'll do it one day. Like I know, I want to kind of hold on to this bitterness a little bit longer. Which I would ask you, how's that working out for you? I just want to be stingy a little bit longer. Like how's that working out for you? Like, let me, I'll tell you this. Dean and I, we were dated 1991, 92. In 93 we got engaged. And, uh, and here's the truth. I was working for a ministry. And uh, back then I was making, I graduated from UCF and I was making seven bucks an hour. I was barely paying my bills, but I wanted to get married to her. But here's what I'll tell you, young men. Don't even think about asking any of my daughters to get married without a ring in your hand. Like none of this, I want to marry you and I'll give you a ring later. No, it don't work. Don't try it. And so I had, I wanted to marry Dina, but I didn't have any money to buy a ring. And so, but I wasn't going to ask her to marry me without a ring. But here's the problem. Here's a picture of our engagement. Put her, put her, these are our engagement pictures right here. There was Dina when I asked, the Dina asked her to marry me. And so, and so here's the deal. She, she was sought after woman on campus. And if I didn't act quickly, someone else was going to sneak in there and get her. And I didn't have any money, but I wanted to, but I wouldn't dare ask her to marry me without a ring. So what did I have to do? Clearly, simply, I had to get busy working a second job. This is the truth. I quit drinking soda. Our dates consisted of going to Subway, and I'm serious when I say this. We didn't split a foot long. We split a six inch. 
We did that for months and months and months. Shall I save up enough money because I like to pay cash for stuff till I had enough cash to buy her a ring because I was not dare going to get on my knees and ask her to marry me and not have a ring. I mean, guys, at least get one out of a Cracker Jack box, but have something to put on her hand. Like, like what, what I'm saying is to you, now is the time. When you want something, you do it now. Like not tomorrow. I remember when we moved here, we, I grew up actually in Florida, and I graduated from UCF. Dina grew up in Pennsylvania. We met in Tulsa, and we were married for about 13 years before we moved here. And, and, um, and, and so when we moved here, it was the, a few months before Hurricane Charlie. Remember Hurricane Charlie that came through? And so this hurricane's coming, and Dina goes, hey, uh, what do you think? We should get ready for this or something? I'm like, oh, I grew up in Florida. And uh, they're all they, when they have all those warnings, it's all they're trying to do is sell batteries and water and blumber. <laughs> you see all those fools at Home Depot? They're going to be returning all that stuff. You just stay with me. You're going to be okay. <laughs> well, about 1 o'clock in the morning, Hurricane Charlie's coming through her out in the driveway, and I, I thought, well, I'm starting to see not just shingles, but branches flying through there. I said, well, we better check out, get inside. And, and I ne- we had this little radio. We huddled up in a room, and, and I never forget what I heard the guy on the radio say. He said, if you're outside, now is the time to get inside. It was like one in the morning, it was coming through Orlando here. What I'm saying is, is when it comes to the word, if it's a conviction, now is the time. He said, you're going to eat with me, but you're too busy. And anything, any relationship that you have, it requires prioritizing and spending. Where, uh, what I'm saying to you is this. Like, people have asked me, what do you think? Do you think you have good job security? I'm, I said, man, as long as there's people, I have good job security. And what I know is this. There's problems in marriages and families. I, I could work the rest of my life just working on that alone. People have problems in those areas. And what I would always tell people, now is the time. Like what I know is this. My wife and me, five kids, 24 years of marriage. Every year we have to go away for a couple days. Because I have to invest. Because anything that you want to grow, you gotta nurture. And if you're struggling in your home with your children, I'm gonna give you an answer. It's four letters, one word. T-I-M-E, time. Invest into it. We go, people say, well I can't, I, I tell people you need to get away, fall back in love again. Well I can't, I have kids, it's cute. They'll be fine, trust me. They won't be fine, they won't be fine if this keeps going on in your home. You, you, vet, you gotta invest in what's important in your life. Number two, verse 18, I'm moving right along. He said, but they all began making excuses. Number two is this. If you wanna switch from being a hearer to a doer, write it down, no excuses. Like there can be no excuses with this when it comes to it. Look, sometimes we, we look into the mirror and we forget who we really are. We're really sons and daughters of God. You think you're working hard to become a son of God. Actually, the reason sin bothers you and the reason all that stuff kind of berates you, because that's not who you really are anymore. Who you really are is a son or daughter of God because your spiritual DNA changed. But when you hear the word long enough, 
and don't do it. Remember what it said? He said, you look into the mirror and you forget who you are. And when you go to church long enough and just listen, 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 and don't do, you forget that you're really a son or daughter of God and God changed you at salvation. Do you, do you know how much power is in the Bible? How many answers? As I said earlier, I could work with marriages the rest of my life and never have an hour free on my calendar. And do you know that the Bible, in one verse, one chapter, one verse, gives you incredible truth that comes down to just two words. Two words. Husbands, love, because we're so different. Husbands, love. Here it is, guys. Love your wives. Only thing you got to do, love your wives. You know why? Wives are made to be loved. You, my, Dina, I mean, she is absolutely stunningly beautiful and gorgeous, and, and we can get ready to go out for a nice dinner. She can get all dressed up, makeup, be in there, blowing her hair out, all this smell like a garden out of Europe, you know, just comes out of there looking so fine. She comes out, we, she looks in the mirror, and she'll go, oh, I look awful. I'm like, what, what, where, where? She's like, I got this little wrinkle coming in here. I'm like, What? Honey, come on, you better get out and get to that dinner. We're not going to make it. You look so fine. I'm telling you. She's like, I got this little, I'm like, and that's a lady for you. A guy looks in the mirror, Dina says, hey, Norm, I think you got some food from lunch on there. I'm like, where? Where? It's gone. You can have a guy look in the mirror. I mean, he can be fat, overweight, hair on his back, and go, here I am, baby. Take me. And they think they look so fine. Oh, they're looking gross, haven't shaved for three days, brushed their teeth. And uh, what's wrong with me? Come on. One, I'm, I'm telling you, it's the answer. Like, you want an answer? You don't need 10 weeks of counseling. Love, guys, love your wives unconditionally. The power, the power is there. Ladies, it says, ladies, your husband, he don't, he don't need love, he needs respect. I mean, you, you could have a guy, you could tell him how fine he looks and how nice he looks. It doesn't do a whole lot for him. But you tell him he's, a, he's lazy, he's a loser, not a provider, and I'm telling you, it'll tear him down to nothing in a minute or minutes like that. Because what I'm saying to you is no excuses. Well, my husband, my wife, no excuses. Because the answers are there. Come on. The Bible is full of men who could have excuses. Think about Moses coming down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. Remember that? Come down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. One of the commandments were, Thou shalt not murder. He just murdered somebody. You get what I'm saying? Like all of us have excuses. Number three, James 1 22 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says, otherwise you are fooling yourselves. If you listen to the word and don't obey it, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself and walk away and forget what you look like. Verse 21 says this. Go into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Isn't it interesting? Jesus said, go out and find some desperate people. I think 
to switch from a con- prefer- preference to conviction when it comes to the word, you have to get to the place where we have to get desperate. You have to get desperate. Peter said to Jesus once, or Jesus said to Peter once, everyone's leaving, I'm abandoning him. Jesus said, hey, you gonna leave me too? Peter said, nope. You know why? I ain't got nowhere else to go. No one take me. I need, because you, you're the only one that has eternal life. In other words, Peter was desperate. Like living apart from the word, it's not working. You know, I'm kind of out of time, but like, remember the prodigal son? He walked away from God and spent all this money on prostitutes and drinking and partying and all this. He's in the pig pen. He's, he said, ah, I might as well go home. And you know what he did on the way home? He prepared a speech in his mind. And he, gave, he, he wrote this speech and thought, this is how I'm going to sell myself back to God. He expected, he saw his father, he expected his father to have to give this speech. And wasn't it interesting? The father said, man, he didn't wait for the son to run to him. He ran to the son. He said, hey, don't talk. Just let me hug you and love you just the way you are. Here, get the fatted calf. Get the robe, get the ring, get the sandals. My son is home. And what I'm saying is, is we have to get, because this is one of those fine lines. And you, you, Let me give you the context. This I only have 38 minutes with you. And so I've got to get to the point, but I also have to be careful about how I communicate this. Because what I don't want you to hear is a bunch of legalism and law. That if I don't do this, then God's going to reject me and turn from me because that's not the answer either. So if I, if I hear the word, don't get it perfect, then no, that's not, let me, let, here's a good way to explain it. You remember the story in the Bible about this lady who was caught in the act of adultery. So that kind of is weird in and of itself that these guys had to kind of like be peeping in the windows or something. And the Pharisees grab her out half clothed and they bring her out to the middle of the town and they're going to stone her. Well, she had this divine connection, interaction with Jesus. He shows up on the scene. Pharisees, Jesus, woman in adultery. That's, what's, that's the scene. Pharisees, they had a plan, end game, no more sin. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, Jesus had the same end game, no more sin. They both were heading in the same direction. The Pharisees on one hand said, pick up a rock, stone her, no more sin. Jesus said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Here's what we're going to do. The, the person here who has never sinned cast the first stone. And then he bent into the ground and wrote down something. We don't know what he wrote. People have been trying to guess it for years. I'm guessing he wrote, because here's what I know about people. You tend to judge people in other areas you don't struggle with. So he's not going to write down adultery. He's writing down greed, gossip, Lying, jealousy, one by one they walk away. Here's what I'm telling you. Jesus and the Pharisees had the same goal in mind. The Pharisees wanted to go through a route of condemnation and guilt and shame. Jesus wanted to go through a route of redemption and forgiveness. Nothing as sweet as forgiveness from God. What I'm saying is don't hear this and think, man, it's just about if I do it, then God will bless me. No, God, God's cheering you on in this journey. Let me wrap it up with this thought. Luke 14 said this. So his master said, verse 23, go to the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone to come 
so that my house will be full. When you think of a church and what happens in a church, lives are changed. People are touched for eternity. And I've heard Christians say for years, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. The problem with that statement is the church is his bride. It'd be like you saying to me, hey, I love you, but I don't like your wife. It's not going to work very well for you in my life. That's my girl. That's my bride. A lot of people treat God that way. Like, I love church. I love Jesus, but I don't know if I like the church. And you can't separate them. What I'm saying to you is remember this. Number four. Remember that you live for eternity. You don't just live for the here and the now. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, if you read history, you'll find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought of the next. That's why East Coast believers, like, we, we, we are, we're a house to see lives changed. Remember, you live for eternity. I want to tell you a story, and I'm done right here. By our middle child, our number three, her name is Julia. She's 11 years old now. About five years old, she, on a whim, wanted to play soccer. And so we just signed her up. All our kids do different things, and so she's playing soccer. And somehow in that young age bracket, they found out she wasn't afraid of the ball. Like a lot of these kids at that age are afraid of the ball. And so they said, you're going to be the goalie. Because you don't run from the ball, you run to it. And over a period of a few seasons, she became like a pretty good goalie at that age group. And she was getting recruited by other teams to play goalie for her. So I was getting these texts, hey, where's your daughter playing at? And most of these are all boys' teams. And uh, and so, uh, like, uh, you know, she's out there playing, and, and her, her, her thing was goalie. She didn't try to go anywhere else. And uh, she'd get out there. And so when she got higher up in the leagues, it got more intense and more competitive. And if you, you know about soccer, so when you tie at the end of a game in regular season, you just, it's a tie. But in playoffs, you go to sudden death. And in sudden death, you know, they keep kicking at you over and over and over again until someone scores from 10 feet away. She's playing a great team, and so she's going out there, and she came over to me, and she goes, Daddy, I'm scared. I'm scared. Don't put it up yet, guys. Don't put that point up yet. She goes, I'm scared. I says, honey, I'm going to be in the same spot I am every game. I'm going to be on the goal line right there in the end. In fact, I was known as the guy who stood by the goals on the team. I said, after every goal, look up at me when you get scared. I'll be right there, thumbs up. And when you get scared, just look over at me. So she played this game, and they did win. And, and after the game, they're having the big party after. And a parent said to me, she said, you know, Norm, I noticed after every goal that she would block. And before they did the kick, she would look over at you, and you put your thumbs up. They said, why? I said, I told her, here it is. Keep your eyes on your father. You want to make it, guys. Here as it is. Keep your eyes on your father. Not just on Sundays, but throughout the week. It changes everything. Thank you for listening to the East Coast Believers Church podcast. We hope you were blessed by this message. For more info about this podcast or other resources, visit eastcoastbelievers.org.